Hey everybody, Joseph here, one of the pastors at the First Presbyterian Church of Flint, and I wanted to welcome you to our sermon podcast, a show that features the latest sermons preached here at First Pres. But first, a little bit about us. The First Presbyterian Church of Flint is an historic downtown congregation, proudly part of the Presbyterian Church USA, the largest Presbyterian denomination in the United States. We have a vibrant and thriving ministry to our neighbors here in Flint and are engaged weekly in worship, faith formation, a dynamic ministry to kids and teenagers, and community building across generations. You can learn more at fpcf.org. You can check out our weekly live stream broadcasts on our channel on YouTube. But better yet, you can stop by any Sunday at 930 to worship with us. We'd love to welcome you and your family to worship. Now, here's this week's sermon. The eyes are windows to the soul, right? And the face, said St. Jerome, the face, without saying a word, is a mirror of the mind. My earliest memories in church begin around age five. Five, six, Sunday mornings, sitting in a pew in the little church my father pastored just outside the Detroit city limits, Glad Tidings Tabernacle. There were about 75, 80 people gathered for worship each week. Some of the names I still remember, like Williams. Of course I remember Williams, because that was my mom's side of the family. Her mom and sister would attend. My grandma, at least when her body inflamed and gnarled by rheumatoid arthritis, afforded her enough relief. And My Auntie M upon whose lap I loved to rest my head during the preaching time and keep entertained with the bangles and dangly jewelry that she always wore around her wrists and her neck. Her lips, her lips she loved to keep a brilliant red, ever ready to plant a big smooch on my cheek that would delight me even as it set my hands to work so hard at erasing any sign of her affection. When the quieting charm of the jewelry would wear thin, she would reach down into her supersized purse and pull out a little treat, quietly unwrap it, and feed it to me, feed it to me, like a young prince being fed grapes by the hand of his servant, as he reclined in the comforts of his title. (laughs) Grandma Williams and Auntie M. All the others in the congregation had names not tied to our family bloodline, like like Vickers and McKay, like Mendler and Hagopian. Those are a few I remember. But of all of them, I grew up with, up till about age 10 or so, They were extended family. 
For not only did we gather together on Sunday mornings, but also Sunday evenings and Wednesday evenings and in restaurants and at one another's homes to to share meals and to talk and to play together. Sunday mornings, we'd worship together, adults and children together, before we splintered off into our Sunday school classes. We'd sing rousing gospel hymns like the one we sang last week, Up from the grave he arose. Man. And we'd listen to that preacher, my father, go at it for 30 to 45 minutes maybe, followed by a sharing time of joys and concerns before lifting them up in prayer to God aloud together. Sunday mornings, in the beaming glow of Auntie M hovering over me, a a deep, broad love mirrored in her face, pronounced by those red puckered lips, and me quietly gazing up at her in deep contentment. And the other face I remember most vividly from those early Sunday mornings is that of the man in the pulpit, a man of authority, My father, he was not one to be trifled with. Not because he wielded a big stick with which he might subdue all opposition. Not because as an excellent, excellent rated chess player, he could think five, eight, ten steps ahead in order to outmaneuver and checkmate us into submission. Not because his logic was truly impeccable and able to exploit flawed rationale, not because his memory, being akin to that of an elephant, gave him the possibility of dangling the past over one's head as blackmail to get one lined up behind his way. My father, the pastor, was a man of authority because because he loved God Life, the church, people, family, my mom, my siblings, he loved me. His authority was founded on love. Not because he said it was, but because he acted it out, backing up those words with commitment, with integrity. And when he got it wrong, which he did, he humbly which was very difficult for him, responded with contrition, repentance. A brilliant man, a proud man, sure of himself and his position, whether he was alone or or in a crowd, an only child type A with all the swagger and arrogance and impatience of the New York City boy that he was from the pew in which I might be squirming, a throat cleared might catch my attention. And if not that, God help me, a snap finger that echoed through that little room and drummed my ears, snapping my body to attention. My eyes would immediately, immediately move up to the platform in search of his face probing to see if the signal was for me 
or was meant for one of his other children. His eyes bared his authoritative soul, and his face, bespectacled and clean-shaven, without saying a word, his face mirrored his mind. It's time for you to straighten up, son. I was never frightened of the man. He never filled me with terror because because I knew that he loved me. And if a stern talk or, or maybe a spanking was to come, yes, there was spanking in that household, I knew beyond any shadow of doubt that I was loved. This man was good. And his face, at at that moment, resolute and foreboding though it looked, mirrored his mind, mirrored his love for me, his desire for my good that would discipline me to the import of that moment. The face, without saying a word, is a mirror of the mind. The glowing face of a beautiful 22-year-old girl lights up that of the 22-year-old boy, giving him direction and assurance as they step together over the threshold into the unknown. Hunger, desire, hopes, dreams, all possibility gives the arm-length space between them a buoyancy that that cannot be deflated by by the weighty burden of anything or anyone they each bring with them from their past. The gravity and the grace of the moment renders them speechless, And so words are fed them to repeat back to each other before before God who is in the binding and before the congregation who is like a wind helping keep their dream afloat. Gazing upon her beautiful face into her deep black eyes. The boy sees himself looking so smart in that black tux, that bow tie, those shiny shoes, and that jasmine boutonniere. Diving deeper in, he sees his, he sees their future bounding in joy, faithfulness, and goodness that hems in their unpracticed adventure in the nourishing but ever so risky waters of love and promise. Right there, right there at that altar, that boy matures in ways he never dreamed he even needed to. His cheeks grow flush, not only because the two of them with hands clasped are are leaping like fools into the unknown in front of the world whose wisdom is mired in skepticism and mistrust. This Puerto Rican princess Okay, I've never really called her that. (laughs) And this skinny white boy, yes, she has called me that. No longer skinny, but still white boy. 
What did they, what could they possibly know of the world? But what more did they need to know except their love for life and for each other? Her face, beautiful enough to launch 10,000 ships without saying a word, revealed her mind that was filled with passion and hope and promise and maybe even a bit of courageous recklessness as we offered ourselves to one another to venture side by side together through the seasons, plenty and want, joy and sorrow, sickness and health, as long as we both shall live. I had never experienced such daring, risky love before. The birthing room. The birthing room was not a place I ever expected to find myself. (laughs) But the world had changed right under my nose. And so in 1988, when our first son, Jonathan, was born, Grace Hospital in Detroit had created such rooms so that parents might experience all the joys of childbirth together. Look, I'm going to be honest. I was lost in that room. Oh, I could banter with the best of them, with the hospital staff and with Luce. I could rub her back. I could caress her hands. I could encourage her in the breathing techniques we learned. I could watch the monitors and advise her how painful that last contraction really was. (laughs) Yeah. But there was no way. No way I would ever be like other dads I knew who were relishing those hours. Some of them even at the end of the bed with camcorders filming the birth of their child. Beta, I'm guessing. I remember thinking, I belong to an earlier generation. I would not have felt slighted, in fact, in the least if I'd been removed to a waiting room in which I might pace a trench nervously, hat in one hand and Marlboro burning down in the other. (laughs) You've got to see this, Paul, Dr. Benjamin said. He was our OBGYN who was the delivering doctor. You've got to see this, Paul. The baby's sunny side up. Now, only about 8% of babies are born this way with face up, looking out at the unfathomably huge world into which they are now entering. Come and see, Dr. Benjamin said. I said, look, Doc, I've got duties up at this end. You do your thing, I'll do mine. That's why we pay you the big bucks. I could not look. The first thing our baby might see is me. I hadn't thought that at that time, but maybe that, maybe that is what I was hiding in my inability to even take a peek, weighing in at 16 and a half pounds and 19 inches long. He was no Hank the Tank. But his face was more than I could bear to look upon at that moment. 
The sheer wonder, the, the mystery, the, the majesty, the, the glory of what was happening kept my eyes glued to my wife's hand, her eyes, the monitors. I was looking for that assurance. What could we possibly know about raising a baby? What if, what, what if, what if, In that child's face was the fear of the future, of not getting it right, not doing it right. Could I possibly care enough? Possibly love enough? Could I possibly be enough? A once-in-a-lifetime moment to see one of our babies come into the world with his face positioned to take it all in and claim it as his right from the get-go. And I pushed back the fear of the unknown with a distracting word, a stupid joke. His face, like that of Moses coming down that mountain with the, the word of life spoken by God's voice still ringing in his ears and now being born in his arms. Jonathan's face reflected a glory so brilliant that I was afraid to look. Because in it, in it, my own fear and frailty could be uncovered. Such new world-creating wonder drawing so dangerously near. I needed to keep it veiled, lest I lose myself in its glory. Which is, of course, what happens when we dare enter into the glory that shrouds the face we gaze upon. Truly look upon, truly be enveloped in the face we truly see. In this morning's text, we are invited to gaze upon the, the dazzling face of Moses, in whose hands God's word was placed to reshape God's people for, for the life of freedom. No longer as slaves to big stick power, but rather being reformed to be slaves to love. We are invited this morning to gaze upon the, the tear-stained face of Elijah, the prophet of prophets, in whose voice God's word cried out in hopes of wooing a wayward people back to God's self and to the glorious life of love for which they had been set free to live. And centering those two is the glorious face of Christ, God's very word of love that etched Moses' law into those tablets, that opened Elijah's mouth to, to cry out God's passion, and who now meets the world, meets the world in the glory of frail human flesh. God's word of love, 
through which all creation came into being, in whom God's new creation comes to fulfillment and fruition, to to glorify humanity and bring us back to the place we belong. brilliance of his glory is the power of love through whom all who would dare follow him open ourselves to being formed anew to listen to his voice so that we might grow to mirror, might mature to mirror his way of love. God's love that is making all things new. I wonder what you see when you enter the shroud of his face, the face of Christ. Do you see the fear? Fear that you will Avoid because you know that one look and your facade will be torn down, your frailty, your fears, your uncertainties exposed. Do you see the beauty? The beauty who fills you with strength and hope, assuring you that to dare leap into the future with him, the uncharted territories with him, is the only way that you will truly grow. You see the authoritative, who without speaking a word, lovingly disciples you in the import of this very moment. Maybe you see the lap upon which you find peace and the glow of his face shining down upon you with love. I wonder what you see when you look upon the face of Christ. And what's more, I wonder what other people see when they gaze upon your face. If you have dared to gaze into the face of Christ, well, St. Paul says that your face is now unveiled so that the glory of the Lord might reflect from it, might beam out on the world around you with that self-same goodness and mercy and love with which Christ infused the world. Through Christ, God's law of love is at work transforming this world, this people, him and her, they and them, you and me, for the joy of being what God has set us free to finally be, God's new creation. God's new creation, people growing together to reflect upon a weary world, forgiveness, hope, love, love that will never fail. And when was the last time you actually gazed into the face of the one you love? 
Maybe it's your spouse, maybe your partner, your lover, your child. Really look to see beneath the coverings that hide us from one another, the smirks and the jokes, the snarkiness and the stony looks. Look past the lesions and patches and pockmarks and tear lines. Look and really see the face revealing their true self. In Christ Jesus, redeemed, beloved children of God who have quite a story to share. <laughs> you think that's hard, looking in the face of someone you love? When was the last time you gazed into the face of your neighbor? The ornery one, the kind one, the cheerful one, the grump. The user, the one who scares you, who you really want nothing to do with. God's glory revealed in Christ Jesus is, is doing a transforming work right here among us. So that we might be about this ministry for which we in Christ are now empowered with spirit to be about. God's spirit is reshaping us to, to take note of the import of our neighbor in this moment, not tomorrow, right now. All our neighbors, the good, the bad, the ugly, doesn't matter. To help us with that, about a year ago, oh, I think it's been one year ago, session, a session of this congregation commissioned a group in this congregation to take part in a project being offered from Western Theological Seminary over in Holland, Michigan. It was called, it's called Churches in Mission. It was a 15-month commitment. That's a big commitment. 15-month commitment by which we would investigate and explore we would find out bits and pieces about who we are and who, who our neighbors are. Not our neighbors far away, our neighbors right here. Around 746 South Saginaw Street, Flint, Michigan, 48502. Within walking distance. And so the group that was commissioned here are here, and I invite them to come up. Pete? Lisa, Pam, Stacia. This past year, we've been about the work of uh, investigating, trying to figure out who in the world we are. Some of you may have been talked with, may have been interviewed, trying to figure out who our neighbors are. So folks around uh, this area have been talked with. Folks from Grand Traverse neighborhood, folks from the business district, people who live here, people who work here, just to find out who is our neighbor, to look into their faces and hear their stories and to see what God is doing that we may not even be aware of yet and how the Spirit is moving us to interact and to share the good news that we've been given to share. 
Now, you look at this crew, it's a motley crew, so you know we definitely need help. <laughs> and so we have two wonderful guides from the seminary who happen to be with us today. Sherry and Hannah, would you come forward? They've been helping us through this year, and they will continue for the next three or maybe more months to guide us, to help us discern what God is doing in our midst and what God is inviting us to enter into with our neighbors. We don't make the decisions. Session makes that decision prayerfully. But we are at a point of beginning to make some recommendations. So we will be doing that in the next month or so to the session of what doors we see God opening up and inviting us, <laughs> kicking us through so that we might grow to bear faithful witness to the good news of God's love in Christ to our neighbors. One of the things that Churches and Mission has asked us to do, has offered us, was an opportunity to say thank you to a couple of people who have been, who we want to say thank you. And they're people that we've seen as being tirelessly at work to help us make connections with our neighbors. So we have a, a great gift that has been given us by churches, by, by Western Theological Seminary, this program that we might do to bless, to bless. And so we have two people here today that we want to just invite forward. Don't be shy. But I invite Larry Batiste and Vernon Beasley. If y'all would come forward, come on down. You're the next contestant. Oh, that's the wrong show. <laughs> just a, 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 once Vernon gets here, come on. Come on now. If you don't know, Larry makes breakfasts, along with everything else, but the neighborhood breakfast that has been going on for, I don't know how many years, uh, Larry, a long, long time, some of you could tell me better than I, because it was, it was before I got here, but, um, but Larry has continued throughout the whole pandemic to, to make breakfast so that we have food to distribute out to people. We had to change things, and on a fly, Larry was there, saying, here I am. I will, I will do what's needed. And Robert, and Robert. Here to help. Vernon Beasley has not missed, okay, missed a week or two when he's out of town. Vern's not a member here in this congregation, right? But he's a member here in this congregation because he is so connected in ways that you just don't even know. He's a, do I say where you work? He's an MTA man, all right? Uh, but he's bigger than MTA. He is, uh, his heart is bigger than MTA. And the way he pushes us and encourages us every Sunday morning to make connections, to look into the face of our neighbors who come with hungry bellies and starving souls, how we might share this good news of food, yes, but of tender care and love with people that we may not even know the names of yet. Larry 
and Vern, encouragers for this group, but even more so for us to reach out beyond these walls and engage, connect with the neighbors who live around us, to get to know, to share stories, to sit with, to journey with, because God has placed us here for that purpose. So we want to say thank you to Larry and Vernon. We have uh, something here. I, I don't know who's got what, so I'm going to let them do it. Some plaques. I know that. This relationship will continue for years and years to come, all right? This relationship, we want to say thank you as well. It could continue for another three months, another nine months. I don't know what the deal is, um, what they'll put up with us for. Yeah, um, they're not far away. Two hours is nothing, right, to get over there. But, but Hannah and, and, and Sherry, we, we had a great opportunity last night to get together to share stories, to get to know one another uh, outside of a screen. It was our first time in person to actually meet and eat and talk and laugh in the flesh, which was really nice. We had a few gifts for them last night, which we wanted to share, but we have one more today for each of you, just as a, you can show them that, yeah. Just so you remember who we are. <laughs> Flint Strong, uh, yeah, t-shirt shop right across the street, place to go, man. Uh, so thank you. Hannah, Sherry, thank you so much. You know, it, it, it just couldn't have happened at a better, better time. This was just like, I, Joey should be here, but, you know, I don't know what it took to, to get all this happening together at this way, so it's like things may have changed if he hadn't been here, so... Thank you so much, and before you go back down to your seats, let's have a blessing, okay, and a prayer. Gracious God, we thank you for your good, enlivening spirit at work among us. We thank you for the saints that you have brought together in the pews and standing here before us today. Thank you so much for Larry and Vern, for Sherry and Hannah, for Stacia and Lisa, Pete and Pam, Thank you, Lord, for the gifts you have given them. And we ask that you continue to do your mighty work, opening their eyes to see you in our midst and turning our ears to listen well for you, helping us to love one another more deeply, more passionately, more with the love you have for us. So, Lord, bless them as they continue the work you've called them to do. And not just them, Lord, but us, 
Your people here, the body of Christ, First Presbyterian Church, we ask that you continue to expand our horizons, enlarge our vision, Lord, so that we might hear and see and act in ways, in ways that demonstrate your love to all your children, our neighbors. We pray all this in the name of your dear Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.